Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, this is Fred Greenhalgh, and welcome back to our special mini-series, A Journey with Strange Bedfellows, presented for you here on The Dark Tome. A Journey with Strange Bedfellows melds together six lesser-known, immortal short stories with timeless, relevant themes, originally penned by strange literary masters Nathaniel Hawthorne, Bram Stoker, Jack London, Jerome K. Jerome, Wilkie Collins, and Hector H. Saki Munro. This audio version is the original incarnation of the project, but it's also available as a graphic novel with an educational guide that aligns the graphic novel incarnation and the audio version based in STEAM, S-T-E-A-M, core curriculum. Together, they offer a listen, look, learn experience for public, private, and homeschool programs, both secular and non-secular, and includes activities for accommodated students. Learn more about this project, the Steampunk Steam Program, and access those materials at a-strange-journey.com. And now to our story. Previously, having fallen passionately in love with beautiful Faith Geibel, who had suddenly disappeared, Hunter Brown located Faith, only to be left floundering once again, when Faith was carried away in the dead of night within an ominous coach driven by a mysterious Romanian. Realizing his need of assistance before venturing into the arcane regions to the east, Hunter has gone to Paris to recruit help. Paris was as I had remembered it, bustling, mercurial. For every light there was shadow, and it was into that darkness I ventured. I sought Francis Xavier Cook in an unnamed unnumbered back alley flat that very much fit Franny's metal, albeit an unsettling locale. Franny and I had been university roommates. I muddled through my studies until we met. His interests were steeped in foreign policy, politics, languages, religions, and folklore. Fran was impassioned by little-known cultures. After several pints, Franny would blurt out what he'd studied weeks prior in a manner that recombined and mismatched facts. He created entire civilizations that God himself could not have begot, given 12 days of creation instead of the rumored six. I gleaned inspiration for fiction compositions from Fran's wild ramblings. I owed him a great deal and had intended to repay him with mystery and intrigue. Only Franny's veracity for adventure exceeded his thirst for ale. Mystery of a missing damsel would entice him. An expedition east would seduce him. Assuredly, Fran would help me find faith if... He was sober enough to comprehend my urgency and need. Hunter, old man! Is that you? Flailing in the moonlight, viding all who'd injure thee to promenade round and round. Fran? Monsieur Francois Xavier Cook, a votre service, a pour vous? 
Franz attempted to bow, nearly put his face on the cobbles. I do feel somewhat responsible for his state of being, but it was university, we were young, and even without my enabling, he had a proclivity to drink. As Fran had contributed to my studies, I fulfilled, filled, and refilled his cup. The exchange seemed equitable at the time. What do you know of Oradia, Fran? Oradia? Romania? Damnation, man! You've no business crossing the gate of hell. Pourquoi, mon ami? I retrieved Faith's hair ribbon from my pocket. For love. L'amour, of course. But first, I've a night for us, sir. A night of extraordinary stuff. <laughs> As few enjoy, I can assure When he flung his arms around my shoulders, his weight nearly took me down. It had been a decade since I'd seen him, and yet it was as if no time had passed between us. It had doubtless been that long since last Fran had bathed, or laundered a shirt. Enduring Fran's stench was certain proof of the undying love I held for this man. You have money? A bit. Oh, très magnifique, dansons avec la nuit. I had, in fact, withdrawn my entire account, not knowing the extent of my journey, nor the time it would take to complete it. Against my better judgment, I permitted Fran to draw me deeper into the Parisian shadow world, beyond the city's picturesque facade. I rationalized the experience as preparation for the adversities I imagined might come, or at very least, afford time for Fran to sober. As I would learn, such preparation was not nearly enough. Our trek along the Seine was in the cool of the evening. Fog was as a curtain whose flux revealed various scenes. An elderly couple airing their bichon frise, lovers stealing a secretive kiss, and a, a morbid scene. Just beyond a police substation, a group of police were in process of removing a drowned body from the Seine. Fran pushed me into an alley that restricted our passage to single file. He shoved me ahead and I was as a blind man with outstretched arms, feeling my way. You are certain of this, Fanny? <laughs> we came to an opening lighted dimly by a gaslight that longed for maintenance. Voila. The door remained closed as a voice demanded, Skibu? Bed knockers. Moment secret. Bed knockers? My secret word? Shh! It's a game we play. Evening, gents. The ladies. To a. Du info rouge et noir, s'il vous. Fran was well educated fluent in several languages, yet now he sounded as some cockney bloke feigning en français. Francis? 
silence, mon ami, lest ye get your tongue yanked from your head. Follow my lead, and we'll split the purse. Comprenez-vous? I followed Fran into that stale-aired salon. Oil lamps whose chimneys were blackened with soot spewed out tainted light to reveal a decrepit room. I sat where he put me and said nothing more. The faces that stared were worn, scarred, painted and desperate. The place was dank with body odour, cheap liquor and stale tobacco. Somewhere a toilet leaked sewer gas and tinges of ageing vomit. We stood at a rouge et noir table. Rouge et noir is a solitaire card game played using two decks. One plays as bystanders bet. We observed, then placed a bet or two. Finally, I became the player. Upon Fran's initial win, I was served the first of many drinks, paid for, of course, from our winnings. After three, I no longer smelled the room's stench. I'm not a gambler, but that had changed in my leaving the security of my home, abandoning a predictable life in pursuit of the unknown. The pursuit of love is truly the ultimate gamble. I executed move after successful move and drank every drink given me. I don't recall friends having lost a bet. The night and I played on. In early morning, Fran patted my shoulder. Time to be going, my lad. We've had enough. Oh, departure! The hostess prepared me a special coffee. Un bleu de jeu, monsieur! I was drunk, but fairly lucid to play another set. Then the hostess came close to me. She compressed her bosom against my arm, intimating intimacy as she offered the coffee. She spied Faith's hair ribbon in my pocket and snatched it like a viper. She taunted. Mm, so pretty, monsieur. I will keep it until you drink the coffee. Do play, monsieur? Drink the coffee or lose the ribbon. I wanted her sticky largeness off me and would have drunk from the Seine to achieve it. Fran tried to stop me, but I complied and drank the bitter sweet liquid. The hostess returned my ribbon and removed her bulk. Merci. I don't know which I appreciated more. A pair of thugs muscled Fran away, but not before he thrust our winnings into my coat. In my drunkenness, I didn't see where Fran had ended. I tried to raise myself, but my legs were numb. They collapsed, and I fell. <laughs> my legs! Where have they gone? <laughs> the hostess came to me. I avoided her bosom by holding on to the floor. <laughs> Monsieur has had too much to drink. Enough play. You must sleep it off, no? Oui. Take him. Two men lifted me away, and I blacked out. I remember being carried and placed upon this bed. Franny must have been placed in another room. My purse. It was still with me. 
I was left in a room lit only by moonlight that slipped through a broken shutter. I was groggy, my vision dizzy, my stomach unreliable. Exhausted to try as I did, I could not sleep. Sleep? Why do you not come? You have taken my legs. Why not take the rest? My legs were weak, but I lumbered from the bed and plunged my face into the wash basin. The chill of the fetid water was restorative. Was it truly water? The air seemed less stale than had been in the salon. Giddiness left, but clarity fought return. I sought composure. The danger of sleeping the night in a gambling house. How might I get out? The entry was surely locked. Once out, how would I find my way back without Fran? Where was Francis? Staying in a place until daybreak was likely a better, if not the only choice. Hearing nothing, fearing everything, I went to bolt the door. No bolt existed. I braced the door with a chest, then considered the bed. It was a clumsy four-poster whose top was lined in discoloured chintz with a fringed valance all round. The unwholesomely stained bed was used, I surmised, for perverse acts. My head spun. Lay down, I must. Slumber, where are you? Sleep would not come. I began to count the patterns on the wall, to memorize details that would bore my consciousness. Forty-eight florals, eight patterns of stripes, three, four, five, sleep take me, it did not. Washstand, the chest of drawers, brass handles, two of them broken off, dressing table with damaged mirror, an oversized pin cushion, four pins. My eyes struggled to focus. An historic portrait, dark, old, of a fellow in a tall Spanish hat crowned with feathers, five towering feathers, a swarthy complexion. His was an apprehensive expression. Sinister eyes gazed upward as if looking at a gallows, purposed for him. Then the feathers seemed to move as with a soft breeze. And again, there was no mistake. Then those damnable eyes shifted to look directly at me. Then rolled toward my coat where Faith's hair ribbon floated from my breast pocket and snaked into the air above my head. I retrieved it and was compelled to gaze into the dark space that was farther above. The bed's canopy. Am I mad? Drunk? Dreaming? My muddled senses played tricks on me. The liquor must have induced sleepless illusions. Is the canopy really sinking slowly, horribly down upon me as I lay beneath? I looked to the portrait, expecting reassurance. I wanted to see that it had returned to its former countenance. It had not! Scoundrel! 
The rogue's face held a murderous grin as the canopy continued to move downward. I could not move. I was to be suffocated in this bed. How many victims had fallen to this game? How many winning gamblers had perished in this way so thieving murderers could retrieve plump purses from a warm corpse? I considered face terrible. With panic came realization and some semblance of clarity. I rolled from the bed to crawl into the chair and watched the canopy rest on the bed's surface. Weight pressed into the mattress, no less than 15 minutes or more. Then, as slowly as it descended, it rose to return to its former place on the ceiling. On a remote island in frigid Lake Superior, a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Rogue's portrait had returned to its ordinary painted facade. The assassins would be upon me within moments to claim their reward. I had to escape at any cost. The window. I collected face ribbon into my pocket and went to the window. No noise, not even the slightest could I make that would give them notice of my living presence. To my surprise, the window gave no opposition. I might live to tell the story. Dear God, the room was on the second floor with the street four meters below. To jump would risk injury to an ankle and render myself unable to run. I spied a drain pipe, similar to one I'd used as a boy to sneak from my childhood room to my parents' chagrin. Once an act of vexation was now an escape from a certain death. My parents had been wrong. Childhood mischief does come to some good. When my feet touched cobble, I ran without thought of direction, praying that I not take a circular course. The narrow alley broke into a clearing near the Seine. Exhausted but exhilarated, I felt alive as never before. The Sen would lead me back to the police substation where I could tell the prefect my ordeal. I hadn't gone far when I saw a gathering of men. Once again, a drowned body had been recovered. I saw the prefect and went directly to him. He turned to me as I began my story, but stopped me when I said, Sir, my friend Francis and I had gone to a house of cards. Uh, monsieur, no, 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 no. Tiens, s'il vous plaît. He handed me a water-soaked note. The signature read, Francis X. Cook. Francis had been murdered. The note had been placed upon his body before being tossed into the river to present an impression of a suicide. I was sickened and certain that his murder had provided the time for my senses to return that I might save my own life. Anger and remorse filled me the prefect and his men raided the house of cards, arresting all. 
I followed as the prefect went upon the roof to discover the mechanism that operated the diabolical canopy. There had been many victims. Franny's murder and my survival brought an end to the villainy. That yielded little comfort as I grieved for my friend. How can I go on? My considered faith's hair ribbon and inhaled its sweet perfume. How quickly life could be extinguished. More than ever I longed to spend the remainder of mine with faith. Perhaps in her arms I could find solace, consolation, joy. Now I had greater reason to find her and prayed she was safe. I hired a coach for a reason few would. Good evening. Who is? What's your stepping? The driver was Romanian. As electrical modernization had begun to light western streets that were shared by horse and horseless carriage, train travel to the east remained unreliable due to unstable regional politics. Countries east of France continued to rebuild after years of war, so many areas remained unimproved. Inhabitants remained fearful of strangers. Tenebrous superstition dictated their belief and behavior. It was prudent for one venturing into these murky realms to realize his vulnerable position and take appropriate precautions to protect body, mind, and soul. The route east took me through Germany, Austria, and Hungary. The mountains were treacherous, the road winding, and much of it in poor repair. The driver pressed on. I tried to sleep to make the time and journey seemed shorter. Ba Turaka. The horses drink. Neve, Odenil. Diresna. We stopped by a stream to rest and water the horses. The driver gave me an apple and bade me to stretch my legs, which also meant I should relieve myself. A few meters from the coach, I discovered a path into the woods. Do you know where this leads? Sat Vitoare, in next village. Elveset Falba. The coach must go round the road, longer way. You want to walk? Four, five hours. To a... You wait there, in village, da? Noen. We met later. Este Wurpargis Nak. Say one tell again. I understood most of what he was trying to say and thought little about the rest. I relished the opportunity to walk in the fresh air. He tossed me a food pouch and water bag. Eat this, drink that, what more must I know? Da, yes, I understand. Ramune, pe, carea. Stay on path, da? Da, I will stay on the path and meet you in the village later. The walk would do my legs good. The air would clear my thoughts. Although it was midday, the sunlight was blocked by the dense wood. 
Time's passage became hard to distinguish. As long as I could see the path, I knew I should be fine. Walpurgisnacht. I thought little about the significance of the driver mentioning Walpurgis Night. Might there be a regional celebration along the way? It mattered not. Memories of faith occupied my thoughts. I retrieved her hair ribbon and took in its scent. Faith, my sweet faith. Suddenly, I was aware that common sounds had all but disappeared. I heard not a bird's flutter, nor underbrush scurry of some unseen rodent. It became a dreary path amid gloomy tree trunks, whose bark had grown thick and unyielding. Somewhere, one creaked under its own weight. The air hung ominously still. At times, the path narrowed to allow only a single person passage. It was a lonely place, devoid of life, that could easily conceal evil. My thirst demanded that I drink deeply. Oh! <laughs> what I had expected to be water was a bitter herb ale, but my thirst outweighed its off-putting flavor. After the first few swallows, its taste was ordinary and unremarkable. With surprise, the ale sack slipped from my hands. What? Who? Turning, I found a traveler, an older man, dressed in simple, formal garments reminiscent of some religious sect. His walking staff was graceful and bore the head of a black snake. Sir, I heard you not. Sorry to startle, friend. <coughs> As he approached and recovered the water bag, I quickly returned Faith's ribbon to my pocket, fearing what the stranger might think of me. I wondered if he had seen it. Why hadn't I heard his approach? I saw you before you saw me. Here, what little was sacrificed, the firmament quickly consumed. Uh, thank you. You, uh, you speak English? I have learned many languages and dialects along the way. I go to Elvaset. Would you mind company? Could I decline? Under the circumstances, I agree. It would be difficult. Come, the thick wood and ground mists bring early darkness to make difficult the path. <clears throat> what is your business, Mr... Brown, Hunter Brown. What is your business, Hunter Brown? Well, I... I'm searching for someone. The name Hunter suits you. You pursue a lost soul, a loved one, perhaps. Yes. Our missions are much the same. You are a cleric. With a devout following. You follow a faith, Mr. Brown. Do I follow a faith, you ask? <laughs> Why, yes, it so happens I do. And the ribbon you carry has bound you to your faith. He had seen the ribbon and deduced its importance. But how? I saw how you looked at it. 
how you held it and savored its aroma. You value it enough to protect it. It belongs to the one you seek, and your quest is one of love. He had answered my unspoken question and deduced my entire mission. Had he read my thoughts? There is little that separates love and faith. Nespa! He spoke as Franny had. Who was this man that he could see through me as if I were glass, to know that which would unsettle my soul? But we met in another place, earlier in life. His familiar countenance reminded me of the clergy I had known in my childhood. I felt uneasy. His all-knowing brought discomfort. Or was he performing a parlor trick? How might I protect my thoughts from this stranger? What business do you have in... Uh... Elverset. Yes, in Elverset. A goodly young woman is to be taken into communion tonight. Into your faith? One of the oldest, most ancient of beliefs. Do I seem familiar? There, he does know me. But from where? When? Yes, there is familiarity that I admit gives me some unrest. <laughs> Through the woods, on a converging footpath, there hobbled a feeble woman dressed in a black hooded robe that obscured her face. Her walk was uncertain. Wait here, my friend, as I must attend to this poor woman. I slowed my pace as the cleric greeted the old woman. Their exchange was too low for me to hear with any certainty. I walked slowly on so as not to eavesdrop, but halted when I heard and understood but one word. Devil! Fear sent quivers up my spine. I had but two options. Stay my ground or flee. After Hunter's friend is murdered in Paris and Hunter himself narrowly escaped death, he now finds himself within a strange Hungarian forest in the company of an unusual cleric who knows too much. Who is this sinister stranger and what are his motives? Is Hunter on the right track to find Faith his true love? What dangers remain ahead for Hunter? Will he find Faith before it's too late to find out, join us for the continuation of A Journey with Strange Bedfellows. And that was A Journey with Strange Bedfellows, Episode 2. And as you heard at the end there, Hunter may have escaped a death trap in Paris, but he's yet to enter the deep dark woods. Find out just what he encounters and whether he survives in our next episode of A Journey with Strange Bedfellows, here on The Dark Tome. A Journey with Strange Bedfellows was written by Jan C.J. Jones, as adapted from or inspired by the following classic short stories. The Dancing Partner by Jerome K. Jerome. A Wicked Woman by Jack London. The Traveler's Story of a Terribly Strange Bed by Wilkie Collins. Young Goodman Brown by Nathaniel Hawthorne. The Music on the Hill 
by Hector H. Monroe, a.k.a. Saki, and Dracula's Guest by Bram Stoker. A Journey with Strange Bedfellows was directed by Fred Greenhalge of Final Rune Productions, featuring Paul Hodgson as Hunter Brown, Tess Van Horn as Faith, Jenny Wren Walker as Annette, Kat Mararos as Girlfriend, Philip Hobby as Old Geibel, Tony Riley as Francis, Susan Riley as Matron Kit and Hostess, Tim Bates as Driver, J.P. Guimont as Cleric Traveler, Janice Gardner as Witch and Mistress Caretaker, William Dufries as The Narrator, Werewolf, and Mute. Additional voices by the cast. Recorded at The Studio in Portland, Maine with James Kerwood. Mixed by Final Rune Productions and mastered by Mind's Eye Productions. Production assistants Stephen Colby and Kelly M. Jones. Sound design by Eric Mooney. Additional foley and sound design by Adam McGinty. Original score by Peter Van Riet, with Eleanor Price as the pan flute. Also featuring Vampire Waltz by Pavel Krichtalik via Audio Jungle. Additional music acquired and licensed from Music to Hughes. Produced by Forest Rose Productions in association with Final Rune Productions. Copyright 2014 by Forest Rose Productions, LLC. Learn more about this story as well as the oddity and magic of the late 1800s at www.a-strange-journey.com. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.